to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Coming up, I talk with Davey Ward Erickson about Tantra as medicine, the 15 different types of orgasms, the healing and self-care component of sex, and the difference between Neo-Tantra and Tibetan five-element Tantra. Let's join the conversation. When most people hear the word, they automatically think sex. However, when we go deeper into the true Sanskrit meaning woven together, we can begin to explore the weaving together of spiritual and the physical, the spiritual with the physical. Tantra as a holistic, whole person lifestyle practice for body, mind, spirit, and sex. So today we're talking with Davy Ward Erickson, and she joins us, and we're going to delve into this esoteric tradition and its holistic healing capabilities as a practice. So, Davy, please introduce yourself and talk to us about Tantra as medicine. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me. I am Davy Ward Erickson, and I am the founder of the Institute of Authentic Tantra Education. And this is the first and only government accredited school for tantric sexual healing in the world. So, uh, it's pretty monumental. Yeah. Um, and, and I, uh, my introduction to Tantra was as a form of medicine. So okay. unlike, I think many practitioners in the West who are introduced to Tantra through books or workshops or that sort of thing, I was trained in a very specific lineage based style of Tantra as a form of using, uh, mindfulness, meditation, movement, and pleasure as a form of medicine to heal trauma and to ultimately realize enlightenment. Wow. Again, all of those things so much, it's all packed into one, one practice, one tradition. So before we delve any further, please explain how you address the cultural approach appropriation aspect of Tantra. 
Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and and something to understand is, is that the style of Tantra that I practice and teach is very, very different than what most people are exposed to in the West. Most people are exposed to something called Neo-Tantra, which is a Western adaptation of this ancient uh, practice from from India, uh, usually in the Hindu tradition and uh, and the Sh- the Kashmir Shivite tradition, okay. I was trained specifically in Tibetan Five Element and Vajrayana Tantra, and I was trained under the uh, under the guidance and with the guidance, blessing, and permission of an ordained Lama in the Shankbakagu tradition, and my Lama gave me the encouragement, permission, and blessings to teach these methods specifically specifically to support humanity in healing from the accumulation of ignorance uh, that's been occurring for centuries. So I was given these teachings to share. So (laughs) it's not like I learned them from a book and it's not like I'm stealing from another tradition. I was actually encouraged to share these methods specifically for the purpose of healing and integrating sexuality and spirituality. Thank you so much. And again, it was that's one of the main points I wanted to make sure are is conveyed Mm -hmm. uh, because so many times yoga has been bastardized and been completely robbed, stolen. And so many people associate yoga with something or some entity that it never was meant to be. And I think it's, uh, you know, almost made it into a luxury item versus something that was never intended to be that way. But now it's under a lens that we as it's pretty much in the West, like you said, we look at it and that's what we associate. So I thank you for clarifying that and for continuing to uh, bring that to the forefront. So please share your story about how you came to Tibetan five element Tantra. Yeah, well, it it was truly a fluke. And there's a saying in the Vajrayana tradition that you don't find the Vajrayana, the Vajrayana finds you. Okay. So um, I'll I'll circle back and, you know, rewind a little bit. So I my early 20s, uh, I was a stripper in Detroit. Um, and I left Detroit to, to find God, essentially to find my purpose in life. Um, and that took me to Hawaii and I ended up, uh, encountering the teachings of the Ashaya's Ascension, uh, tradition. And I went to North Carolina and I became a monk. And at the age of 24, uh, that's when I took my vows and I devoted my life to my spiritual path. And so I was a monk from the age of 24, um, and I roamed around teaching and traveling and gardening and, you know, and, and meditating. That's what I did. Right. Uh, and I found my way to Kauai, Hawaii, and uh, I had a, a house cleaning business there, and I was teaching a modality that I had developed, uh, which was a union, a fusion of my time as a stripper and my devotion to my spiritual path. Uh, and this, this was a movement modality that I called sacred erotic dance, and it was about finding bliss through uh, sensual movement and sensual self-expression. So uh, I was doing that on this little tiny island in the middle of the ocean, right. um, and um, I was introduced to a natural health, uh, a natural health uh, practitioner uh, who was helping me with a chronic underlying uh, health issue that I had that, that nobody else could treat, not allopathic medicine, not homeopathic medicine, like right. nobody I went to could support. So I was recommended to this practitioner. And so um, he was working with Tibetan Buddhist methods, as well as other energy healing modalities uh, and Chinese herbs 
to address the root of the problem. Um, and I began experiencing changes that I hadn't experienced before. So I'd been working with this health issue for many years and with no luck. Um, and within a very short period of time, I started to notice very significant tangible results. And so, I mean, results speak for themselves. So I was intrigued about these methods he was using. Um, and he began introducing me to Tibetan Five Element Non-Sexual Tantra, which consists of meditations and understanding like um, how the elements uh, work within the energy body, how they work with the different organ systems. So it's like a medicinal approach to working with, um, uh, with the energy body and working with elemental energies. And so he was just okay. introducing me to this concept, and I was very intrigued. And at the end of our healing program together, he then informed me like, hey, you know, you can do this sexually. And actually, this is a path of, of realization in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Okay. And I was like, whoa. So my whole life, right, I, had, I was a monk. My whole life was about meditating and realizing enlightenment. And he's telling me, and you can, you can have sex and do this too. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, um, so, so he ended up becoming my mentor. So what he did is he went and spoke with the Lama, Lama Tashi, who's our Lama. He's still in Kauai today. He's still my Lama today. You can look him up, kauaidharma.org. Okay. Um, and he went to Lama Tashi and said, hey, I have this woman who, I, who has spiritual propensity. She's been a monk for 10 years. She's a meditator. I, I, I get the sense, he's saying this, I get the sense uh, that, that she could really, you know, utilize these methods and it would catalyze a lot of healing and transformation. May I right. train her? And Lama mm. Tashi said yes. And so I entered into a six-month period of formal training and study in both the sexual and non-sexual application of Tibetan five-element Tantra. So okay. keeping in mind what my study was, it was 20 hours a week of sexual yoga practice. So using uh, breath, using meditation, using movement, using pleasure to, again, heal, transform, realize uh, transcendent states of consciousness. And in between my training sessions, I was going to Dharma classes with Lama Tashi a couple times a week, two times a week, to learn the non-sexual advanced Vajrayana Tantra practices. Um, so there was a lot happening in a very concentrated period of time. And after the six months was up, because I didn't know what I was getting into. So I was only willing to commit to six months because I was like, I right, don't know what right. this is. <laughs> I'll give it six months. You know, I'm not signing my name in blood. But after six months, um, I actually changed lineages. I actually um, I actually dropped my, my monk vows, my Ashaya vows. And I took vows in, I took refuge in the Shankpa Kagyu tradition and was given a Tibetan Buddhist name uh, and took this on as my spiritual my spiritual path and my spiritual mission in life uh, wow. and so my mentor and I continued to train together again under the guidance of Lama Tashi um, and my mentor again he was a he was a natural health practitioner under the western you know license but he was trained in Tibetan medicine he was trained in Chinese medicine eastern medicine of many traditions uh, but specifically he specialized in Tibetan medicine and so my mentor who I eventually lived with you know for five years lived mm -hmm. and breathed this shamanistic healing approach uh, to Tantra, which is part specifically of Tibetan Buddhist Tantra. So, right. um, so uh, one of your other, another question uh, is, you know, about where, where the five elements, where they come from, they're 17,000 years old. Yeah. 17,000 yes. years yes. old. Yes. 
<laughs> that's how old these teachings are. And they were right. kept in the mountains of Tibet for all that time. And they were woven with Buddhism about 22,000 years, 20,000 years ago, or I'm sorry, not 22,000 years ago, right. approximately. Um, but, but they had, these five element teachings were part of the, the traditional spiritual practices of the, of the people of Tibet, the Bonpo tradition. And that was woven into Buddhism. I think actually, I think it was less than 2000 years ago. I think it was about 700 or 800 AD when it was woven into Buddhism to become what it is today, which is Tibetan Buddhist Tantra. It is a very unique style of Tantra. It is a very unique style of Buddhism even. And it's all rooted in these five element teachings, which are ancient, ancient, ancient healing practices. So the entire foundation of Tibetan five element Tantra is medicine. That is what it is. Yes, exactly. And when you talk about, and one of my hats um, when, as an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health practitioner is I'm also a five element trained acupuncturist. Yeah. And so I appreciate the connection that you made to nature, the seasons yeah. and the other layered correspondences. And the, we have you know put it into this form in terms of five elements, but the elements, like you said, have been around before any of us were. Like they existed, they always existed. And so we're not creating anything new, we're trying to create some structure so to advance our comprehension. Exactly. And so I really appreciate, you know, as you weave this in, all things are coming back, again, weaving, weaving together, mm-hmm. um, all these aspects. And I know you touched on it before, but what makes Tibetan Five Element Tantra different than other types of Tantra, namely Neo-Tantra that we're often exposed to here in the U.S.? Yeah, so again, Neo-Tantra is often grounded in Hindu-based Tantra or Kashmir Shivaism. Uh, Sh- I can never say that properly. Kashmir Shivaism uh, Tantra. So it's, right. so it's a very it's a very Indian flavor from northern India. That's the flavor mm-hmm. of Tantra. I'm trained in Tibetan Buddhist Tantra. It is very, very different. And that is something okay. that a lot of people don't understand. They just throw out the word Tantra as it's this umbrella term. It's not. There are different right. lineages. There's different traditions. There's different orientations. There's different styles, methods, practices. So someone practicing uh, Hindu-based Tantra is not practicing the same thing I'm practicing. I'm practicing something totally different. So even just, again, again, the motivation and orientation and understanding to what Tantra is. So I've had arguments with Hindu-based practitioners who are like, oh, you know, there's nothing, Tantra's not about healing because there's nothing to heal. And I'm like, yeah, but in our tradition, there is. Like, so, so our tradition is, it's about medicine and this understanding that yes, we are all realized and Buddhas and enlightened and all of that, but we're obscured. Obviously, look at the state of the world. Look at the state of suffering. And so we need to utilize methods to to remove that, to heal those blocks to bliss, as we say, so Mm -hmm. to to clean our windshield so that we can see the truth of who and what we are. And that is the yoga of Tantra. That is the purpose of Tantra. It is both a method, a path, and a result of your practice. Um, And so Tibetan five element Tantra very specifically works with the elemental energies of your physical and energy body to catalyze healing, enrichment, balance, optimizing the way the human system functions, and essentially so that we can live as shiny, happy people in our (laughs) ultimate nature, right? Right. Like humans are designed for bliss. We're designed for equanimity. We're, We're designed for connection. We're designed for joy. We're designed for pleasure. We're literally wired for pleasure. And yet how, how many of us are, are living that day to day? 
right? Experiencing and, that, yeah. Yeah, embodying that. And imagine right. this world if we were. Imagine oh. this world if we were deeply connected to our humanity and our love and our connection and our bliss and our emotional equanimity. This planet would look very different. So Tibetan five element Tantra is the antidote for what ails human consciousness. It is the antidote to what we call the five root poisons of human suffering. Yes. And that, again, one of those correspondences is not just all the good stuff, but yeah. there are two sides to every coin. And when that, you know, you're, that everything is positive. Yes. You're getting that wonderful aspect of a, of a being. And that means that, you know, everything that's living of that, of that being, but on the other side, when things are out of balance, there's that other side that shows up. And those are those evils, those emotions that sometimes can be poison to us and literally yeah. work against us in, in terms of our healing, the healing component and the healing aspects of being a human being. Yeah, and, and so so the five element teaching specifically are the antidotes to the five root poisons of anger, attachment, pride, jealousy, and ignorance. Yes. And it's said in this tradition that those five root poisons give rise to over 84,000 different kinds of afflicted emotions. So for wow. example, there's 22,000 different kinds of anger. There's 16,000 different kinds of jealousy, right? So, right. so you, we don't have to, I don't have to like figure out if I'm envious or, you know, or, or, or what the flavor of the poison is. It's just, I know it, I, I just go directly to the root and I uproot root. it from the root. And yeah. so the five element teachings antidote that transform those emotional and psychological poisons at the root. They transform it and antidote it on the level of consciousness. They transform and antidote the chemical release, the, the actual toxic buildup in our tissues. And, in, and it transforms and dissolves our what are called our karmic tendencies to attach mm. to those particular emotions. So it's yeah. very, it's holistic in terms of the physical body, the energy body, but also even karma and our yeah. past and future lifetimes. Right. Wow. So let's take a, a step further and talk about authentic Tantra. Yeah. How did this distinction lead to the creation of the Institute of Authentic Tantra Education? Yeah, thank you for that question. So so uh, keeping in mind, you know, my training was, was uh, the majority of it was on this little tiny island uh, in the middle of the ocean in Kauai. It was this little tiny concentrated bubble, uh, you know, with my llama. So my llama lived in a house and we would like have parties at his house. And like, it was a very, it's a very um, human, very human, very communally based kind of training. We had formal classes, but like we never like my llama doesn't wear robes he wears regular mm -hmm. clothes he's a householder right he's like he's right. just a human dude who happens to be very you know advanced and in, in practice right. um and so it was this very um refined and intimate container of training and it was all rooted under the you know the auspices of this lineage so everything right. it was like um, in, an immersive experience, and it was all rooted in authentic lineage-based tantra. So that was my understanding of tantra. I did. I was not trained in neo tantra. I was not even exposed to neo tantra. I did. I like. I was like. I didn't even know. I didn't even know if such a thing existed. So right. my orientation to tantra was: wow, this is a spiritual tradition. It's a path of healing. It helps you realize enlightenment. Like that's what tantra is. So then I moved from that little bubble to Vancouver. And I soon came to find out that Tantra actually means hand job. <laughs> actually means sensual massage. Tantra actually means uh, sex work. 
and oh and, and no shade about sex work sex work is an amazing potent nece- quite frankly it's a necessary service absolutely yeah. necessary i mean we need more pleasure we need more people connecting to and providing pleasure right. but it's not the same as tantra and no. so <laughs> i was i was very confused <laughs> I was promoting, you know, myself as a Tantra coach and I was getting calls for erotic massages. And so in order to distinguish myself, my, my business partner and I, in order to distinguish ourselves from what other, what Western people thought Tantra was, we were like, well, we're authentic Tantra. So if you're looking for Tantra, that means sensual massage. If you're looking for authentic Tantra, that means us. Okay. We have blessing permission to teach you know, from our Lama, we have blessing and, per- and permission to teach these authentic lineage-based tantric methods for the purpose of healing and integrating body, mind, spirit, and sex. So that's pretty freaking authentic to me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. And I'm glad it uh, helped you change your marketing tools so that you were reaching the audience that you wanted to reach. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure that the phone calls, feeling those phone calls early on in the day was probably like, what, what are we doing wrong? How did this happen? Where, uh, yeah, did, this, where, like, where did we go wrong? I was confused. <laughs> I was like, I, I, you know, Tantra coach. I'm like, I, you know, like, wow, I didn't know that Tantra coach meant, you know, you want to come over at noon for an erotic massage. I was like, yeah, that's not a service I'm providing. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. That's no. not what I was trained to do. That's not, was right. not part of my training. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So let's double even further. What methods are included in the authentic Tantra modality? And please share a little bit about each. Yeah. So the authentic Tantra modality is rooted in what we call the four pillars. And the four pillars are meditation, movement, connection, and pleasure. And so each of the four pillars has a series of methods or tools or practices associated with them. So for instance, the meditation practices are rooted in the Tibetan five element tantric meditations. Uh, And so with our students, uh, we guide them through these lineage based uh, mindfulness practices that allow them to uh, calm discursive thoughts, cultivate embodied presence in the body, uh, work with the energy body directly, heal and transform uh, on the level of, 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 again, of consciousness itself. So that's the meditation component. The movement component is born out of my my lifelong passion as a dancer. I've been dancing from the time I can walk. Uh, And so just part of my own personal yoga practice was weaving these five element practices into movement practices to help use movement as as a way of balance and enriching these elemental energies. We also incorporate Taoist pelvic floor exercises as a form of what we call sexual yoga, uh, meaning okay. a physical yoga practice to improve and increase your, uh, your, sexual, your sexual vitality and wellness. Um, and then, uh, with the pleasure practices, uh, we work with just, you know, pleasure in general, we teach the four forms of pleasure, which are physical pleasure, emotional pleasure, spiritual pleasure, and sexual pleasure, and how to cultivate our, our pleasure consciousness in every moment. Pleasure isn't just sequestered to the bedroom. I'm experiencing right. Pleasure. pleasure right now, sitting here talking with you. It's a pleasurable experience. So pleasure can right. be found in anywhere in any moment. 
And then, of course, we address specifically sexual pleasure. And so the methods that we use for this understand that one of, like, as human beings, we are naturally inherently orgasmic. And if we aren't experiencing our full potential for orgasmic pleasure or sexual pleasure, it's usually because there's a block to bliss. There's something in the way. Right. And given the fact that one in four women has a history of sexual assault or sexual trauma, and as many as one in six lingam owners, people with penises, has a history of sexual trauma, we know that trauma, sexual trauma, emotional trauma, psychologically, psychological trauma, is one of the biggest blocks to experiencing our full potential for sexual pleasure. And so yeah. our, our sexual pleasure methods are also trauma-informed and rooted in this understanding that if we bring mindfulness, touch, love, breath, and awareness to the body, the body yeah. will naturally release whatever, it will shed whatever it no longer needs to hold on to, and then we can access our full potential for bliss. Wonderful, that sounds so beautiful. It sounds all beautiful. So as a trauma-informed organization, you mentioned that earlier on the different types of trauma, how does the Institute for Authentic Tantra Education acknowledge the impact of racism in its work? Yeah, well, I am a black biracial woman, so uh, I live and breathe the impact of racism and racial trauma every day yeah. of my life, as do many of our faculty and staff. And so I think, yeah. um, number one, having having a, a staff and a founder who are people of color um, yeah. brings that lens to everything we, we, we teach. Um, and also uh, uh, um, uh, practical actions and tangible actions that we've taken is we have worked with the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, uh, PSAB.org, uh, and did their, provided their training to ourselves and all of our staff and faculty and, and some of our graduates to help us understand um, the social construct of, of racism and white supremacy so that right. we, could, we, could, we could learn to recognize it in our own operations and and how we functioned as an institute uh, unknowingly, uh, uh, you know, functioning, uh, having having some of these racist uh, ideologies just woven into the fabric of, of what it is to be a corporation. So we would right. learn to identify them and uproot them um, and, and become educated about about the nuances and the different different manifestations of racism and white supremacy. Um, so we educate ourselves. It's something that the Institute does. It pays for education for, for all of us so that we can learn more about our blind spots and how mm -hmm. these systems of oppression work within us without us even being aware of it. And we continue that training. It's an ongoing thing. It's not like, oh, I took a DI weekend. It's an right. ongoing commitment. <laughs> Uh, also right. on our website, you'll see our anti-racism covenant. So it is a vow that we as the faculty and the staff have taken to each other uh, and that we invite all of our students and graduates into. Um, and we also presence uh, the, the symptoms of internalized racial oppression. How does this show up in interpersonal dynamics? And so we wow. name that and we have that publicly stated on the website so that we can constantly be learning, but also people who come to our website are constantly learning about how internalized racial oppression may manifest in ourselves as individuals, in our relationships, and in our society at large. All right, you covered all the bases. <laughs> covered all the bases. <laughs> so at our firm, we often talk about movement instead of exercise um, because that has its own charge. So talk to us about tantric dance and its healing powers. 
Yeah. So, so, so dance has been, my understanding is that dance has been a part of Tantra from inception. So, okay. um, you know, like movement as human beings, we're designed to move, right? We're not yes. designed to sit in these freaking computers on our butts all day. We're designed literally to chop wood and carry water. That's what the human neck is designed for, right? And right. if we're not moving, then we're stagnating. Right. And, and expressing our human essence through dance. I mean, we've been doing this since we could stand on two feet. We re we really have been. And yeah. so dance is part of the tantric tradition. Um, you know, I can't, I haven't studied that specific style of dance, but for me, when I encountered the five element teachings and began to awaken and heal and transform my relationship to my sexuality, that naturally translated to the way I moved in life. It naturally yeah. translated to my self, exp my sensual expression to my self-expression. And so what I've developed under this, under this umbrella of the Institute is what I call the five elements of tantric dance and it's a beautiful fun and very accessible way for people to begin working with the elemental energies through through specific movements breath and mindfulness and what right. i love about this movement practice is it's a way of working with the elements outside of sitting meditation so again mm. as a trauma-informed organization we know that you know, for a nervous system that's r deeply dysregulated from trauma, sitting meditation is like torture. Like that was yeah. for me when I first encountered meditation in my 20s, I was like, this is hell because I had so <laughs> much unresolved trauma in my nervous system. It was literally physically painful for me to sit and follow my breath. I just I it, it was it was it was painful for me to do it. Right, so what right. I love about the five elements of tantric dance is they are a wonderful, very accessible starting place for people to be to begin cultivating mindfulness by weaving breath, movement and imagination. Yes. And that movement allows that kinetic energy to be released from the nervous system so that it is in some ways it is a meditation but it's a meditation on movement it's a meditation on your breath it's a meditation on the pleasure of expressing this energy through your body and what i've seen in my practice is clients who've come to me who who at first could not do sitting meditation because of that buildup of of you know of of trauma unresolved trauma in the body after weeks or months of doing these, the five elements of tantric dance, these movement practices then have released enough of that unprocessed energy so that they can actually sit and do the sitting meditations with right. ease and grace. So it's a very, very, very potent method for releasing unresolved trauma through connecting the breath and the body and movement. Dance movement therapy. It's all in there. I love exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's all and people, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, hit. It doesn't have to be, you know, yoga, which some, you know, some people find, like you said, just sitting and meditating and mm -hmm. boring and not able to do it. But moving your body in a intentional way, mm -hmm. in a therapeutic way, yes. that movement itself can as an action can be not only rejuvenating, but also restorative. Yes, yes, exactly. Restorative. And that's what I've seen. And I mean, you know, after one of my dance classes, I always check in with people. I'm like, well, how do you feel? And people are like, I'm lit. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so after I did, yeah. And part of yeah. it's because it's so fun. So it's right. the movement, it's the mind, it's all of that, but it's also the joy. It's also yes. the fun. It's also, we're playing. We're playing with movement. We're playing with dancing fire or dancing earth or dancing water like we did that when we were like five or ten or so we haven't done that as adults we haven't pretended to be fire in a very right. long time and it's fun 
And it's enjoyable. And I find that we're, you're probably, it seems like a, maybe a potential fire personality. It just, you know, we both, I see we have on these kind of reds today. And so that reminds me of fire in general. Um, but yeah, just being able to step outside of ourselves and really being able to enjoy all of the elements and how they manifest inside us and recognize them outside of us externally as well. Yeah. So with most, thing, most things, we make time for the tasks and activities that we prioritize and truly want to do. With that said, how does one make intentional time for Tantra? Mm, yeah, that's another great question. And it's not as hard as people think. So Lama Tachi okay. says that, that's my Lama. He says that Tantra, sexual and non-sexual, is meant to be practiced in your leisure time. And as Westerners, we have a lot of leisure time. Even though it may seem like we don't, it's more mm -hmm. a question of what we prioritize. So, yes. you know, we don't, we don't have to chop wood and carry water. We turn on the faucet and, you know, water mm -hmm. comes out. Even with our, you know, our, our, our work schedules, we're with 40 hours a week is a work week. That's eight hours a day, right? That's a standard work week. Right. 24 hours in a day, that leaves us a lot of extra time. It leaves us a lot of leisure time, right? So Tantra is meant to be built into your leisure time. So okay. because we have this, what I call this palette of practices that we can, we can pull from, it makes it very accessible. So again, we're looking at these four pillars of meditation, movement, connection, and pleasure. So it's very easy for me to get in 20 minutes of meditation every morning. It's a choice I have to make but we're mm -hmm. talking 20 minutes, right? right? It's very, very easy for me to get a half hour of movement in. And in fact, most people do, they go to the gym, they go for a walk, you know, so whether it's I'm going for a walk outside and connecting with the elements, whether it's I'm going to the gym and lifting weight and building my muscles, which is part of fire element, or whether I'm doing the five elements of tantric dance, taking a half hour out of my life. I mean, that's, that's, it's a choice. Right. <laughs> it's a very it, it's a choice that we often make in the society to move our bodies in some way to to build right. in movement connection so that was one of the pillars i didn't i didn't get to but connection to self connection to others connection to our partners so we have a wonderful variety of exercises or practice practices i call them toys tools and toys right. to play with and <laughs> one of them is what we call the pleasure journal so a very simple right. self-connection practice is to write down all of the things that brought me pleasure today as a way of rewiring my brain quite literally to look for pleasure and to see more pleasure so that's saying right. that that neurons that fire or synapses that fire together wire together so yeah. if i'm consistently cultivating pleasure consciousness by writing down what i what has brought me pleasure during the day i'm literally rewiring my brain to look for to seek out and to experience more pleasure so that's a connection practice that takes 10 minutes and has these you know this whole array of repercussions positive beneficial repercussions in your in your view of life itself Right. And then my sexual pleasure practices specifically, again, we have them as bite size. So we have a 20 minute pleasure practice. We have an hour pleasure practice. And the thing about the, the sexual pleasure practices is most people are cultivating sexual pleasure in some way or right. trying to cultivate it, but, but we're not given pleasure-based sex education in the society. So we're literally fumbling around in the dark. And then mm -hmm. layer the shame and the trauma and the guilt and the abuse and the oppression and all of that onto the sexuality. Most of us are experiencing a mere fraction of our potential. So wow. with our sexual pleasure practices specifically, we give you structure to begin diving into and exploring and cultivating your potential for bliss in your own body first. And then once you've established it there, we talk about how do you translate this to your relationship with your partner? How do, how do you weave 
this into your partner uh, sexual pleasure connection time so that you guys can begin cultivating this together as partners. And if you don't have a partner, you get to cultivate all this juicy bliss in your own body and magnetize right. the partner to you. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so to answer your question, how do we fit it in? We fit it in by taking bite-sized pieces. You don't have yeah. to practice Tantra for five hours at a go. I mean, you can if you want to, yeah. um, but, but it's not required. You can practice Tantra in 20 minutes a few times a day. Wow. And that's, I think in, in the beginning, you mentioned it's about making what, you know, certain things a priority. Exactly. I mean, it's something that we want. We all shift our priorities. We shift our schedules. We accommodate things we probably even shouldn't sometimes to make space, make room, make way for things that we want to do. So when people talk about, I don't have enough time, do you, or do you not have your priorities in order totally and things that you want that you things that we actually want to do well and it's totally priorities if you look at how much time we spend on facebook and instagram and oh. TikTok and scrolling right that's just like sucking your life force out right there i mean i do it too yeah. and i i notice how I we're all guilty yeah out, right? <laughs> right and and i'm not allowing my scrolling time to interfere with my tantra yoga practice and you know and yeah. for an example like i often liken this to going to the gym so i love going to the gym and lifting weights it was covid for the last two and a half years i was not i was not about to get near the gym and like honestly like for all my like i'm gonna do it at home yeah no i didn't do it at home right. so, so now that there's some you know some space and you know at least in some areas of the planet from from right. covid we went back to the gym and it hurts <laughs> <laughs> yes it hurts yes. and i have yeah. to take time an hour mm -hmm. out of my day you know plus travel time to go to the gym and yeah. torture myself you know for this period of time and the reason that i choose to do that is because of the results i've been right. back to the gym for two weeks and i'm already like damn like look at me girl exactly <laughs> so 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 the benefits are the encouragement if i went to the gym and tortured myself for you know however long and i saw no results i'd quit going quite frankly but Absolutely. the fact but the results speak for themselves and right. so when it comes to Tantra, if you aren't getting any benefit or, you know, any of the pillars, meditation, movement, connection, and pleasure, if you do not see the tangible benefits in your own life, then you're not going to continue your practice. And right. so that's one of the things to really be mindful of, of, you know, of Tantra. There's a lot of different styles. There's a lot of different lineages. There's a lot of different practices. You want to align with one that works for you so that you actually get the result of your practice. Tantra right. isn't just about the practice. In fact, the practice is just a vehicle. It's about the result from your practice and the result of your from your Tantra practice should be more compassion, more connection, more bliss, more equanimity, more clarity, more efficacy, more joy. Life should be getting better if your Tantra practice is, is, is bearing results. Gotcha. And that makes sense. And that's with anything worth having. It's not just going to up and manifest itself and just pop itself in your lap. Just like you said, going to the gym. Yes, there's a there's an aspect of pain involved, but look at the results or the results that you want to see at the other end. Yes, there is a you know aspect of practice. Practice isn't always going to make perfect, but practice is always going to be improvement, yes. especially at, when you're working and you're making a concerted effort. And yeah. I think that's what some people think about when they hear some types of esoteric type traditions or practices it's like oh you just you know sit down plop and it happens versus yeah. no this is some invested time and energy emotion potentially into deriving the efforts the deriving the gains that are necessary as you plug into the actual practice itself and intentionally so yeah it's 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 cultivation 
that's you know yes. that word was introduced to me in the beginning of of my practice it's it's like cultivating a garden you're cultivating the garden of your yeah. own heart and your own mind and you have to feed and nourish that soil so i'm also yeah. a gardener i've got to water those plants yes. every day i've got to mulch yes. them i've got to care for them you know i've got to right. actually cultivate my garden if i want to uh to to get reap a harvest harvest right exactly right. i'm gonna reap the rewards of my efforts right right and that's you know and again that's that's a different i think that's a you know very western orientation that's been um conditioned into us is this you know expectation that we can pop a pill and get results right that's yes. a western pharmaceutical mindset whereas yes. with actual healing healing is a process and it takes time and you have to work with the body so say it again girl say yeah. it again say it again i, I I'm serious. Please say that again, because I think so many, so often we equate cure and healing with, you know, instantaneous respectively and time. We don't take in time that healing does take time because you didn't get here overnight. So yes, yeah, healing is a process. Thank you. <laughs> and, and a revelation for me is like, I, you know, many, many years ago, I, I sliced my thumb open with a knife and I was, you know, I didn't, I should have probably had stitches, but I didn't, but I was, the doctor was looking at it and they're like, yeah, you know, so in about a year it will be all healed up. And I was like, a year? Uh-huh. And he was like, yeah, when the body is injured, it can take up, even though, you know, the wound may repair and he, you know, cl- close and you see the scar, it can take an entire year or more for the yeah. site of the trauma to fully effectively heal, even if it, if it even does. Like I still, on my thumb, I'm rubbing it right now, there's still some um, numbness there. So mm-hmm. the ner- even after 10, 15 years, there's still numbness there. It hasn't right. fully repaired. So even like the most, on the most base, like gross level in terms of like, you know, Western allopathic medicine of like surgery and stuff like that, doctors know it can take a year or more for the body to fully repair at that site of injury at that site of trauma and so if we're looking at holistic healing for human beings psychologically emotionally energetically spiritually and physically yes it's it's a it's it's an unfolding that's the way i look at it. it's a blossoming yes i love that i love those analogies and so as we look at life's ordinary demands and we're talking work family Mm -hmm. school social commitments they can be exhausting. So yeah. let's talk about the self-care component of sex. Yeah, the self-care component of sex. So again, this comes to prioritizing to me. Mm-hmm. So so something in uh, that I observe, uh, uh, this used to be true for me, and I see it in my students as well, is, is a, a kind of a, a, a marker of the Western life is an overcommitment. Is, okay. is, 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 is over productivity. So this go, 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 go lifestyle. And yes, you're mm-hmm. right. We've got work, we've got kids, we've got the demands of life, right? And, and some of those we can control and some of them we can't. Right. So really prioritizing, if you want to have a juicy, enriching sexual connection with your partner, prioritize it by building in intimacy dates at least once a week. And what I like to say about intimacy dates is that it doesn't always have to be, you know, penis and vagina or your vagina and vagina or whatever your sexual orientation is. It doesn't always have to be penetrative intercourse or genital intimacy. It can be emotional intimacy, psychological intimacy, spiritual intimacy, all of which are required for true sexual union. Okay. And so we have to literally carve out time and reclaim our our energy our focus our intention reclaim it from the day-to-day demands and place it on this intention to cultivate and deepen our intimate connection with ourselves or our partners 
So mm-hmm. I say scheduling an intimacy date, a minimum of an hour to two hours, once a week is a minimum. And mm-hmm. from there, that's like your anchor point. That's what you can yeah. rely upon. You know, this is your touchstone. And from there, what I've seen in my own life and the lives of my clients is that one day a week, because it's so juicy, remember results? Like, oh, right. damn. <laughs> that was a why don't we do this more why don't Uh we do this more why are we practicing we need to practice (laughs) that that seed is planted and then i'm like well wait a minute baby can we get together tonight too and so again when we prioritize we shift the focus we shift the energy from all this stuff out here to "Mm, yeah Mm. i want some of this juice this goodness here i want some of this juiciness here right? right and so we start with what's manageable that's key because if I make mm-hmm. these unrealistic demands or goals for myself, I'm just going to disappoint myself. So if I'm right. like, oh, I'm going to have, you know, sexual pleasure every day. Well, maybe when I was 25, not now. <laughs> and I like sexual pleasure, but I like other things too, right? So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I give myself something that's realistic, which is like right. two to three times a week, whether it's with mm-hmm. myself or my partner. Right. For for this juicy to eat a meal. It's like eating a wonderful meal with myself or with my partner. And so I start with what's doable and then I build from there. So when I've met my goals, then I can reassess. Well, this is amazing. Is this is this fulfilling me or do I want Mm -hmm. more or do I want less? And so then I can I can negotiate with myself and with my partner about what is going to best meet, meet meet my needs and meet our needs together as a couple. Yes. So um, so yeah so self care number one to me is preparing is creating the psychological emotional and spiritual space in my life to connect and be present because for me as i've aged i'm 47 now you know when i was 30 i could maybe just drop it and go at 47 (laughs) i'm like i i need a little bit more emotional lube is that's what i've learned about myself it's like i you know and i'm a high-powered businesswoman whatever it's like i like to relax i like to talk i like to drink some water i like to take a bath i like my feet Mm -hmm. massage i like to stroke stroke your chest like i have needs for emotional safety like i'd like to ease into it and and that right. can take an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that then, takes time. I'm ready for right. attention, right? So I right. learned that about myself because I because I've prioritized it. I've given myself space to learn that and adapt right. as I've aged and as I've evolved. Because my evolution right. isn't just about age. My emotional needs for sexual connection now are very different than they were in my twenties because I'm more deeply connected to my heart and I'm more deeply connected to my body when I than when I was when I was twenty. So, um, so yeah, giving your meeting needs for self care is giving yourself space and giving yourself the gift of really honoring and connecting with and attuning to what your body, mind, spirit needs in relationship to sex and being willing to dance with it and allow it to evolve and allow it to lead and guide you instead of me trying to control my sexuality and force it into the box I think it needs to be in. I'm like, okay, hey body, what do you need? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's going to be yummy for you today (laughs) right there you go there you go and I love how you're connecting this and um you know as a self-care practice and definitely in relationships and so keeping with that theme of weaving and woven together how does tantra help address libido especially in long-term relationships yeah yeah well again so you know the the whole western modeling of relationship is really profoundly horribly dysfunctional <laughs> <laughs> why is that not surprising why is that not surprising <laughs> i'm just gonna be 
bias. So like the whole like, you know, in media we have we have like the romantic, you know, comedies and the way mm-hmm. romances and relationships are are presented and then we have porn, right? And neither yep. one of them are realistic portrayals of human intimacy. And so right. what we often see in movies that like, oh, that, you know, hotness and that that flash in the pan connection and you just mm-hmm. want to rip your clothes off. That's something called new relationship energy or new relationship <laughs> hormones. It is a chemical right. bath. Right. That bathes your brain and your bloodstream with all of these hormones and chemicals, which are designed to perpetuate the human species. It's designed to encourage mating and bonding so that we can have babies, right? Yeah. And they last anywhere. These wonderful chemicals last anywhere from three months to a few years, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, depending on, you know, the, the depth of connection and the other s- systems in place. Um, and so, so often the mistake that's made in Western society is we have an expectation that we're going to be on that chemical high forever, that that's right. supposed to last forever. And it's not. So as those woo chemicals begin to fade, when we're practicing Tantra and cultivating deep connection and moving through some of those attachment wounds and traumas that are inherently going to arise as we move mm-hmm. into deeper intimacy, as we move through those blocks to intimacy with ourselves and within our relationship new energy arises new energy becomes available so our intimate relationships become a beautiful deepening and deepening and deepening and that isn't to say that there aren't going to be periods of time where you're looking at your partner and you're like i'm bored (laughs) right Right? but again if we have a, a a an intimacy practice and an intimacy date in place, no matter you know what's going on in the outside world, no matter what kind of you know whatever chemicals are there or not there, we can come together with the intention and motivation of connecting intimately, and yeah. that begins heart to heart, eye to eye, soul to soul, breath to breath, and mm. from there we allow magic to arise or or whatever is going to arise in that space. <laughs> Right. Sometimes it's tears. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, you know, hey, I've been holding this back all week and I need to tell you that that really hurt my feelings. Like sometimes that's what arises in the space. But the key is to prioritize this container to cultivate intimacy. And that's how you keep things alive. That's how you keep the energy moving. Again, if we're if we're just riding on this chemical high and it goes away, well, what happens is most people stagnate. Right, mm, they absolutely. just stop. They just stop yeah. moving. So tantra practice for couples is a way of continuing to cultivate and deepen and keep that connection alive, keep the energy moving, keep that beautiful opening of that heart center blossoming. Right. Yeah, that's that is that is a good visual picture because again, it's again that connectedness, that weaving together yeah. of the relationship of the yeah. couple. And it doesn't just begin and end the moment you say your vows or the moment you make a commitment. It requires practice. It requires work. And that's, you know, ongoing and not just on the day of your I do's. Yeah. And so it, I think it, that's so important. It requires uh, cultivation. And I would say, in, yeah. and work, yes, but I would say, um, um, uh, yeah, definitely sometimes there's work. It also requires play. Uh, but mm-hmm. entire, yeah. it, 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 this is the word of the day. It requires prioritizing. That's what it requires. Because what I often see, again, is what gets in the way is Western mainstream life is what gets in the way. Mm -hmm. All the distractions, all the to-dos, all the commitments. gets. That's what gets in the way of this intimate connection between me and my partner. So we have to be willing to set all of that aside and have this literally this sacred container, this sacred space, which is me and you, and we're going to play. 
whatever yeah. that looks like for us. Yes, I love that. That is, that is, oh yes, it's a beautiful picture. So when you mentioned neurochemical and just the neurohormonal components, I immediately thought of the big O. Mm -hmm. So talk with us about the importance of orgasms, especially for people with vulvas and vaginas and the different types of orgasms. Ooh, yeah. So in our tradition, this was the thing that really cinched it for me in terms of learning lineage-based sexual tantra because I was like, I don't Uh understand this sex and enlightenment thing. So (laughs) this, this, this is what sold me. This is what made me say yes, is that every orgasm is literally a glimpse of enlightenment. And that Mm. is on the level of the energy body itself. So in Tibetan medicine, there are five winds of the bodies, five pranas of the bodies. And these pranas carry life force energy through the channels. And so in terms of orgasm, the primary wind that we're going to be working with is something called the downward voiding wind. And the downward voiding wind is responsible for both retaining and excreting everything that comes out of the lower end, whether it's, you know, menstrual blood, feces, urine, ejaculate, babies, all of that, and both retaining and excreting. So, you know, constipation issues or diarrhea or bowel issues, the downward voiding winds are involved in those. Right. So at the moment of orgasm, the moving winds or pranas in the genitals brush the central channel. Well, the mm-hmm. central channel, for those of you who are familiar with yoga, the central channel, Shashumnanadi, Umanadi, is the core of the life force energy in the body. And it is where enlightened consciousness resides in the, in, in the human form. All mm-hmm. five root poisons are purified in the central channel. So the moving pranas brush the central channel and we get a glimpse of enlightenment. And that glimpse of bliss, that experience of bliss, is an experience of being free of those five root poisons. It's a glimpse of liberation. I often invite people, like, think of the last time you had an orgasm. There's no I in orgasm. It's, It's literally like flying. It's total liberation and freedom. It's bliss. That is a glimpse of enlightenment. And the human mechanism is designed so that Every orgasm, whether we're aware of it or not, whether it's a two-second orgasm or a 20-minute orgasm, every orgasm is literally a glimpse of enlightenment. And orgasm rewires the brain. It Mm. integrates all three, I don't know if hemispheres is the right, three parts of the brain, the reptilian, the mammalian, and the human forebrain. The orgasm goes throughout the entire brain and integrates the entire brain. It also gives us access to expanded states of consciousness. So uh, at some points of orgasm, some research showed that we actually reach into the delta uh, brainwave length at the peak of orgasm. And that delta brainwave is where human growth hormones is re-stimulated so it has profound esoteric physiological psychological impact on the human being to experience orgasm the problem is is so many of us because of trauma cultural conditioning because we live in a sex negative oppressive society that condones sexual violence against women just getting on my soapbox here and people with vulvas and vaginas um Mm -hmm. our, our experience of orgasm and pleasure again is so minimal in comparison to what it could be that that was the thing 
mm-hmm. for me about sexual tantra. That's why I wanted to teach this. Because when mm-hmm. I started experiencing my full capacity for pleasure, I was furious that I had spent 33 years and gone through all that trauma and suffering and nobody told me that this was my potential. No one right. told me that this was possible. No one told right. me that, this, that, that orgasm could heal me. Nobody mm. told me that I could have 10 orgasms in a row. I, I was furious that I'd spent my entire life ignorant of, of this built-in bliss machine that lives between my thighs. <laughs> <laughs> the built-in bliss machine. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> wow. I love that. And just that visual, it, it just... It, is vivid and it definitely kind of draws attention to the power that we do have with uh, within ourselves and also you know right there it's, it's localized and we and just don't ours. tap into it in. and, it's, and ours. it's ours we do own it and we own this and the society tries to tell us that what we should and shouldn't do with it and i'm like this is mine yes. <laughs> it's one of the things that actually do belong to me I'll like this is something I that to. i can too <laughs> right exactly i'm gonna touch it when i want to don't so- get me started oh goodness yeah <laughs> So all that is a very, is like the esoteric impact of orgasm. And then we know from the physiological standpoint, I mean, it releases, you know, oxytocin, dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, all these neural chemicals that are good for the brain and the body and mood. And, you know, it boosts your immunity. There's, I can't remember all the physiological stuff off the top of my head. They're in my book. I'm sure you can Google them, but there's health benefits. We know that there's health benefits to, to orgasm. And so one of the things that we teach for people with vulvas and vaginas is that our bodies are literally wired like anatomically anatomically wired to be capable of over 15 different types of orgasm wow different type they all feel different 15 different types of orgasm that is literally what we are built for that is what our anatomy is built for yeah and i think again western westernized just media makes us believe that orgasm is comes in one shape one size one form and that one size should fit all and yeah, it and doesn't knees. <laughs> yeah yeah right because right that's over yeah that's it and it's done yeah and my thing is no that's definitely not and like you said it's like <laughs> these extremes of you know either you are you know the living this you know fantastical fantasy life in terms of sex life or that's completely not building in any of the social components, any of the day-to-day demands, or it's porn. And neither one of those are real life. Neither yeah. one of those are real, like realistic or portrayals of realism yes. um, and what goes on in an individual. And I think being able to tap into that thing that you can have and that bliss that you do have makes it even more empowering than trying to achieve something that's based on fantasy. Well, yeah. And again, so Western society is, is the relationship to sexuality in Western society is, is that of a 14 year old boy. Mm. It's, it's deeply immature. Um, and it's all based on a, uh, you know, a 30 second to, to seven minute sexual experience that results in ejaculatory orgasm. It is, it is so incredibly immature in comparison to, to what's possible. Um, and so what is portrayed in Western media is, is basically the sexual, sexual fantasies of, of 14 year old boys, (laughs) essentially, that's, that's what you're seeing. And, and that's the orientation of sex. And so there's this, this interpretation or this, this view that, that, that orgasms for people with vulvas and vaginas should mirror the male ejaculatory orgasm. And quite the opposite is true. 
when a vulva owner begins cultivating and awakening their full orgasmic potential, they actually draw their male partner into what a true mature orgasm can look and feel like. So my mentor right. used to say that ma the male body learns multiple orgasms from the female body. The key right. for men is learning how to separate orgasm and ejaculation so my body right. can teach you. Because if you pop off the minute I start to orgasm or the moment I start to feel heightened sense of pleasure, which is the case for many, many men, is they as soon as they start to feel that charge awaken in a woman's body, they ejaculate because they don't right. have any control. They have no no choice around their, or their ejaculatory response. Right. So for men, we train them, we guide them and teach them in, in methods, effective nine times out of 10. If you're doing it right, 10 times out of 10. And I'm saying right. nine times out of 10, because sometimes people are like, I can't quite do it. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how to say it more clear. But, but, but separating orgasm from ejaculation, it takes time, but it is possible. And so for a fully, uh, a male who is fully multi-orgasmic and has full control over his ejaculatory response, he can have, you know, 10, 15, 20 non-ejaculatory orgasms in one lovemaking session with his partner. And this is the thing. When my husband orgasms, I orgasm. And when I orgasm, mm -hmm. he orgasms. So we're constantly, for one lovemaking session, we're having multiple orgasms together. There's no like, oh, yeah. well, how do you come together? It's like, you breathe and you orgasm like it just it just right. happens and that is our sexual potential that's sexual maturity to be able yeah. to a for men orgasm without ejaculation and have control over their ejaculatory response and for us as partners to cultivate this bliss together and have yeah. orgasm after orgasm after orgasm without t chasing them or grasping them or attaching to them, allowing them to arise as easy, easily, effortlessly, and naturally as breathing. That is your yeah. potential for orgasm. There's no striving. There's no straining. Relax, breathe, and allow it to arise. Yes. It's our true nature. I love that. And that connection between not just the partners, but to self and to self before partner and just having that continually being a part of that relationship Absolutely. and that part of that cyclical action of not just sex, but the intimacy component. Yeah. Well, I mean, truly like what <clears throat> I can't even can I, I, I've done it in the past, but like, like at this mm -hmm. point in my life, I can't even conceive of sex without intimacy. Because right. and, and, and I often like I just did a workshop uh, last week is like, what does intimacy mean to you? Right. Because mm. that's the, that's the question, because it can mean right. different things to different people. Right. Often when right. you say intimacy, it's code word for sex. For sex. But, mm -hmm. Exactly. But there's emotional intimacy. There's spiritual yeah. intimacy. There's intellectual intimacy. There's sexual intimacy. There's physical intimacy that's non-sexual. There's all different flavors of intimacy. And what does intimacy mean to you? And that right. is the starting point. In, in Tantra, we teach that all Tantra begins and ends at the heart. If there's no love, there's no Tantra. Right. Wow. That that was profound. That was profound. So as counterintuitive as it sounds, and we touched on this a little bit before, women often have a tendency to compartmentalize and even avoid the sexual aspects of our beings and just keeping them away from or separating them from the whole. How does Tantra help weave these entities back together? Mm -hmm. So that compartmentalization, in my opinion, comes from our cultural conditioning that tells us that teaches us that good girls don't want, enjoy, crave or desire sex. OK. And so we are taught from the time we're little girls to put our vulvas in a box and put them in the back closet 
and only take them out when a partner wants to play with them. Oh, yeah. But they're not yeah. ours. They're our partners. Mm. Right? Yeah. So, so we have been conditioned to separate, to keep our, our, our genitals and our relationship to them separate and compartmentalized. A woman takes care of the home and the family and the whatever. That's what a wife does. A whore, mm-hmm. yeah. a slut, uh-huh. a, a, a pariah enjoys right. sex. That's mm-hmm. what, you know, and that's embedded in our, in our subconscious from the time we're little girls. So we have a choice to make. Do I want to be an acceptable member of society? Do I want to be a good woman and a good girl and get a good husband and a good job? Or do I want to enjoy sex and be an outcast? Right. right? Yeah. And so it's a, it's a self-preservation method, me- mechanism, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. so that is the way we're socialized and conditioned. And I'll give you an example. So I, um, I, I, I live in Kelowna, and I have a wonderful social circle of, of wonderful women and men, and they're professionals and this and that. They're, they're literally, their mouths drop. They, they, they like, they get overwhelmed, uh, uh, you know, hanging out with me. Cause I, I, I don't even notice saying orgasm. That's not like I talk about sex incessantly. I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, premature ejaculation or, oh yeah, you know, and yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not like digging in the dirty details, but it's just normal for me. Cause I don't have shame about sexuality. Yeah. Whereas the, all of these wonderful, very, you know, incredible people do have shame about sex. So the way right. they live their lives is compartmentalized. You're not allowed to talk about sex at the dinner table. Well, mm-hmm. why not? Why, <laughs> right. why, 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 yeah. why is it embarrassing, triggering, overwhelming, scary for us yeah. to be talking about sex? It's because you want to keep it in the closet. Yep. And that's the way I feel about the word vagina. And a yeah. lot of times like, we have to whisper vagina or we call it something like JJ, or we call something like, you know, whatever nickname we have for it. And I'm like, do you have a code word for your nose? Thank you. Do you have a nickname for your eyes? Yeah. Thank you. Do you call your big toe something else because this is my vagina is a body part. First exactly. and foremost, it's just anatomy. What we've done is pervert it and bastardize it and make it something dirty or something naughty based on our own perverse thoughts and, you know, what we feel toward those things or what we've been made to feel towards those things, again, since childhood. But I'm like, it's just a body part, so why are you whispering? Or when I say it out loud, it's like, shh, keep your voice. See, that's exactly what I get to, and I, <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm like, and so, and, and what, what trips me out is that most people don't, uh, like main, most people in the world don't understand the difference between vulva and vagina, right? Oh, so, yes. like, so I like And to it's not it just a- men. It's not just men. No, Women us, don't know the again, difference either. Yeah, right. that's the way we're conditioned. So vulva and vagina, they're two separate things. So, or yes. part of one mechanism. And so same mm-hmm. thing for me. Like, again, that's what I was talking about. Like at the dinner table, talking about vulva, or even the difference between vulva and vagina, and people are like, literally, their heads want to explode. And I'm like, <laughs> exactly. It's like I, I, I could, I could be talking about my finger, and you would have no reaction. But I'm talking yeah. about an, a body part that society has told you is shameful, and that's why yeah. you feel that way, and you want to make it that I, there's something wrong with me, when in actuality, there's something wrong with our society. Right. And it's and it's with the oversexualization because I think there are two poles. It's that you must be that good girl who's you know damn near virginal untouched clean innocent and then on the other side but you like that hypersexualized, that oversexualized. you have that image that is attracted to some mm-hmm. aspect to some people and it's like okay well where do you fall between you know 
the lady in the street and the freak in the bed. Like where yeah. do you, where do you fall in that continuum yeah. and when, and who turns that switch on and off and when it should it be on? When should it be off? When is it okay? When is it not to be okay? And that continuum, that continual game playing and that flip switching, it can be exhausting as well. Absolutely. And, and I, that's psychologically traumatic. You know, it's the Madonna yeah. whore complex. And so that leaves right. us as women in this state of like, what's right, what's wrong. It's in the state of confusion. I consider it to be a form of psychological abuse, quite frankly. And then you wonder why you can't relax into your body and have great orgasms because <laughs> you have this, you know, this, these like this, this battle in your own psychology of like, right. well, if I relax and enjoy this and I'm a slut and then and then and then and then and then i'm gonna lose my house and my husband like you know like all the negative repercussions from just feeling pleasure in your own body but keeping in mind this has been drilled into us from the time we were babies from the time we were in diapers this has been the message we've been receiving so it's no wonder that now that we're 40 years old we can't relax and have a good orgasm yeah and it's and it's a shame because those are good years that would you know you could have been. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's that's why I made it my mission to teach this. When I was 33, I was like, you did what? What? I need to tell. I'm screaming this from the mountaintop. I'm going to start a school so I can tell yeah. people all about this, right? All about this. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and that's one of the things you know, circling back to you know, Western neo tantra is like, like I talk a lot of shit about Western neo tantra because <laughs> I've because I've had some. Like some of it's really fucking shady. Pardon my language. Right. Some of it's really creepy and really shady. Yeah. Um, but and um, the flip side of that is traditional. You know, people who are in traditional tantra say tantra doesn't have anything to do with sex. Bullarchy. Actually, <laughs> tr- true tantra is balanced. It's balanced body, mind, spirit, and sex. Sex is part of our humanity, and yes. we live in a society that tries to, as you were saying, compartmentalize—not just compartmentalize, but divorce and mm. and psychologically castrate us in some ways yeah. in relationship in our in relationship to our sexuality. Tantra is the antidote to suffering. So where do you think that medicine needs to go the most? It needs to go to that wound, that gaping, weeping wound of Western sexuality. That's where the medicine needs to go. So that's one of the reasons why in our work, even though we're lineage-based and we have roots in traditional Tantra, we focus on sex because sex is a source of suffering. And Mm. Tantra is the antidote. Yeah, yeah. So as we talk about, you know, we've talked about trauma and I think... there's so many different types, but then there are these life cycles that women go through that can be pathologized and can be medicalized when they're just natural parts of the life cycle. So how can Tantra be especially helpful for perimenopausal and menopausal women or someone with a history of abuse or serious injury, illness, or disability? Yeah. Yeah. We'll start with the perimenopausal because that's where I'm at right now. Uh, and okay. Tantra is extremely, <laughs> extremely effective. So some of the symptoms um, uh, that we experience in perimenopause and menopause, again, uh, some, some of the, what we call symptoms in the West, my understanding from an Eastern uh, medicine uh, perspective is that those are actually symptoms symptoms of what of, of dysfunction in western society so mm. so in tantra uh and in taoism which is a a, a chinese approach yeah. to uh to sexuality uh we we exercise our genitals mm. we understand mm-hmm. that just like exercising your whole body is important your genitals are part of your whole body so exercise your genitals too and if you're not exercising your genitals what's going to happen the same thing that happens to your muscles they're going to atrophy 
They're going to yeah. go stagnant and you're going to get sick. Yeah. They're not going to function yeah. optimally. So right. we do exercises, we do practices, we, we do things to encourage our sexual reproductive system to remain toned and healthy and vibrant. This also right. helps with hormonal balance. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and you mentioned trauma. So a symptom of trauma is some of the issues that some of the sexual dysfunction issues, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like low libido, hormonal imbalance, um, a numbness, lack of sensation, vaginal pain. Those are all symptoms of potential, I'll say potential symptoms of trauma. And so right. if we go to the root and we, we begin addressing the root cause of, of the illness or the dysfunction and we rectify it at the root, all those reverberations, all those symptoms also dissolve and are alleviated as well. Right. So, so Tantra is a path of holistic wellness. And again, it's something that we must cultivate. So t- in my personal opinion, because, you know, I live and breathe my, my tantric lifestyle. This is not like a hobby. Right. It's not a job. This is my, this is my spiritual purpose in life. And whether right. if I wasn't doing it publicly, I'd be doing it privately. Right. So I'm, I'm just right. doing the thing. So from my perspective, it's not like, oh, you know, I have low libido. Let me learn some tantra. It's like, I'm going to cultivate a holistic wellness practice that is going to include methods that are going to address my libido issues from a number of different perspectives because my libido issue may be physical it may be hormonal it may be spiritual it may be psychological it may be emotional and it may be a Mm -hmm. combination of all of those because humans are holistic right and so what i encourage is embracing tantra as a holistic wellness lifestyle practice and Mm -hmm. and cultivating it and noticing yes you know if you have a lack of orgasm that will probably change you will probably have more access to orgasm if you have low libido well here's a practice you can do if you do it consistently you will notice a change if you're having you know heavy menopausal symptoms and they aren't being antidoted by western methods or you don't want to engage in western methods work with the energy body work with the physical body work with work with all of the bodies work with your mechanism human mechanism a whole nutrition what are you eating what are you drinking you know how are you living your life all of this contributes to our experience as human beings so it's about examining our life and our lifestyle and our choices as a whole and determining what is supportive and what what no longer serves us right absolutely so as we start to finish up are there any additional resources besides the institute for authentic and a Tantra education that you suggest for our listeners who are interested in learning more about authentic Tantra? Yeah. So our website is a wonderful place to start. Uh, I wrote okay. it. So uh, if you're attracted okay. to my writing, that's me. Um, if All you're right. Me, you might be attracted to my writing. Uh, I also okay. have a published book called Shake Your Soul Song, A Woman's Guide to Self-Empowerment Through the Art of Self-Pleasure. And you can find that at my website, DaveyWordTantra.com. I believe it's also okay. on our AuthenticTantra.com website. I have a podcast called Sex is Medicine, where I explore uh, not just tantra but all expressions of human sexuality very joyfully uh very grateful for my wonderful guests i I was on air for eight years so i have a multitude of episodes um and for people who are drawn to tibetan tantric buddhism specifically i highly recommend my lama lama tashi dundrup you can find him at kawaiidharma.org and he teaches uh zoom live stream dharma classes every thursday from six to eight hawaii time uh, and Lama Taj, again, he's a full-fledged Lama. So if you are interested right. in Vajrayana Buddhism or Tantric Buddhism, like, go sit at the feet of this Lama. He has a very unique perspective because he's not a monk, but he was trained by monks. 
Um, okay. And so he's very rooted in this traditional, um, the tradition of, of Vajrayana Tantra, but, but has this very modern um, lived experience of it, lived expression of it. Um, and then there's also on our website, there's, there's our books that we recommend. So there's a few books okay. about the five elements. Um, and keeping in mind that this specific lineage of, of Tantra, um, it's a very obscure lineage. The Shankvakagyu lineage um, is, it almost died out. Um, it was founded, interestingly, by a black woman, by a mm -hmm. woman named Naguma, who was referred to as the Black Dakini, uh, because mm. her skin was so dark that that was the one thing that was transmitted for the past 1,200 years, how black she was. So I'm like, wow. all right, she's black. I think we can never fails. Okay, but she's black. <laughs> never fails. It never fails. That's but what's going to come into the room first. <laughs> but, it's, but it's beautiful to me that that yes. is the message that transmitted because this is the only lineage that I'm aware of that was uh, that was authoritatively, authoritatively, however you say that word, transmitted by a black woman. Like right, there's, right. there's no, no other female founder of a lineage and there aren't many of them, but no other female founder of a lineage was described as black. So I'm taking that yeah. as a message from her to us. Like, yo, <laughs> yeah, we um, out here. We out here. We out here. We've been out here. How about that? <laughs> exactly. For the last 1200 years. As a matter of fact. Yes. So, um, so yeah, so, so Naguma, um, so our, so our lineage is, is, um, you know, it's, it has been quite obscure. And so there's not a right. whole, there's not like all these books and whatever about it, writings and teachings about it. Uh, the Shankbakagyu, um, the Shankbakagyu.org, you can look that up to learn more about the Shank, Shankbakagyu tradition. Um, okay. Kalu Rinpoche is the head of the Shankbakagyu tradition, and he's aware of what we're doing to a degree and has given us the right. thumbs up, you know, and he's got right. a copy of my book. Um, so, so, you know, he hasn't said don't do it anymore. So... <laughs> Yep. So far, blessings. So far, blessings. <laughs> but um, but those are the resources I can think of off the top of my head. And then just you know our our website authentictantra.com. The 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 readings and the books that have influenced my work. We really try okay. to promote those author authors and promote those works because they've influenced my work. And so I really want to give Absolutely. credit where credit is due. That's important. And thank you so much. I'll make sure that all of those are in the show notes. Yay. So as we sign off, any parting words of wisdom? Um, I, I usually don't, I'm not good off the cuff with parting words of wisdom. I would just uh, share with all of you to really embrace pleasure as medicine as this ideology. Yeah. I coined that term way back in like 2009 and I've seen it infiltrate and proliferate and, you know, all like just spread throughout, throughout mainstream consciousness and, right. and really embracing the concept of pleasure, all forms of pleasure, physical, sensual, spiritual, emotional, and sexual as a form of medicine to heal, to restore, to repair, and to cultivate bliss. I invite all of us to do that, particularly in the world that we live in today. Pleasure, claiming our pleasure is an act of revolution. I love that part. That was the mic drop. Thank you so much, <laughs> Davy. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.